This episode is sponsored by Flatfile. Importing customer data into your product has traditionally been a time-consuming, painful process until now. With Flatfile's data onboarding platform, product teams can better enable customers to seamlessly import their data with one simple click. Your world-class product deserves a world-class data import experience. To learn about how Flatfile's platform can help you reduce customer frustration and instantly improve time to value, go to flatfile.com slash product-led-alliance. Hey everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiana Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. Enjoy! Okay, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Product. I am exceptionally excited today to have our guest with us. We're both dialing in from a quite warm England um, and my guest's name is Roman Pitchler. Likely for our audience, he needs no introduction, but I will uh, say that Roman has been uh, considered a product management expert specializing particularly in digital products um, for more than 15 years. Uh, He's been involved in product management and uh, agile software development for over 20 years. He has written four books, if I'm right, uh, including how to lead in product management, agile product management with Scrum, and my favorite, one of my top three favorite product books, which is called Strategize. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, He's really contributed to the discipline of product management over time by working with teams and consulting with companies to help them address and embrace agile organization principles and create successful products. So Roman, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you for the kind uh, introduction, the welcome, and nice to be nice to be with you. Yes, indeed. Nice to have you here. I have to say, Strategize was the first book that, uh, the first product book that I ever read, um, was given to me by a trusted colleague who uh, we were peer product managers. And um, I remember reading it. I remember exactly where I was, where I was reading it. At that time, I lived in sunny Seattle. It's a joke, not sunny Seattle, but it was a sunny day. And I read through almost the entire book um, in one day because it's just that simple to approach. Um, when you read it, especially for people who tend to be more vision driven from a product discipline, I think it makes a huge amount of sense. And I remember at the time going through circling things, identifying things that I wanted to take back to the organization to help us be more effective and really know the why about what we were doing, right? Have that big shared aligned vision. Um, So uh, it's really one of my favorites. Oh, that's very nice of you to say and lovely to hear. Great. Yeah, absolutely. So Roman, when I think about, you know, different disciplines, and I was thinking of several friends who work in the finance uh, field, I'm pretty sure that the authorities would look not too kindly on keeping two sets of books when it comes to finances. But what we're going to talk about today is how in the product discipline, sometimes keeping uh, several roadmaps makes sense and why that is. Um, And the purpose of today's conversation, as is often when we get the caliber of guests like yourself is to dive into subject matter expertise in a specific area. Uh, today, we're going to talk about roadmaps. Um, so do you remember the first roadmap that you ever uh, ever either put together yourself or, or saw anything that kind of comes back to mind? I think it must have been a roadmap full of features, which is really, you know, the traditional way of, uh, 
approaching roadmap creation, roadmap development. So I think really traditionally a product roadmap essentially is, um, you know, a, a timeline that shows when which features will be delivered. Um, and, you know, that, that can work, but generally speaking for digital products, I, you know, we're usually for virtually, you know, the entire product life cycle, we have some amount of change or uncertainty. Something's always seems to be changing, be it the market and the user needs, be it the technologies. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really find them particularly helpful. And uh, certainly not if they have uh, loads of features and the, the features maybe are, are fairly detailed. Yes, yes. And yet, unfortunately, I would guess that a lot of people feel uh, like that's the only type of roadmap they've seen, right? Um, or that's the roadmap that's been shown to them as they've been onboarded. Um, though, on the other side, you know, I think more and more you're seeing people embrace concepts like outcome-based roadmaps. Um, what do you think that timeline has looked like over the last years and you know, 10 years or so? Um, and why do you see that we are starting to see a shift away from maybe feature-based? Um, what's causing that finally, would you say? Well, I hope we're seeing uh, that we're seeing a shift. I mean, many product people I work with still um, use traditional feature-based roadmaps um, and are fairly new to the concept of outcome-based, or I, I like to talk about goal-oriented roadmaps, but I mean, you know, essentially those terms are synonymous. They mean the same thing. So the, the whole point is rather than focusing on outputs, on deliverables, on you know, the what, what needs to be done, um, ask why, uh, why do we want to enhance the product? Why do we want to progress the product? What is the specific value that we want to create? What are the specific benefits? What are the specific outcomes? What are the specific goals that we'd like to achieve? And that might be uh, to acquire more users or customers, to increase engagements, to improve conversion, start generating revenue, future-proofing the product by reducing technical debt, reducing cost. I mean, these are just sample, sample goals, sample outcomes. And, um, and, and I think part of the reason why feature-based roadmaps are still dominant, at least, you know, as I said, that's my perspective at this point in time is uh, that's a tra tra traditional way of doing it. And then, you know, there's an interesting correlation between product roadmapping and how what product roadmaps look like and how product roadmapping is practiced in an organization and the product management maturity and the level of empowerment and authority product people have. So, you know, I find that, you know, um, when product people aren't fully empowered, you know, they're often given a feature-based roadmap <laughs> and told, yeah, deliver it, make it happen. Or, you know, if that's not the case, then senior stakeholders come and say like, I need this feature, I want you to do it. And can you put it on your roadmap? And so again, you know, that's where, you know, the role of a person in charge of the product, you know, if that role is called a product manager or scrum product owner, whatever the title might be, um, is not fully established yet and maybe not fully understood. Absolutely. So let's talk about a, a fictional environment where somebody is using roadmaps, um, someone in more of a senior position because they're having to present on the roadmap to either their board, um, to their executive team, um, perhaps at customer events to their customers or publishing those um, internal sales meetings. Those are all very different and distinct audiences. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think boy, we would like to cover today uh, for the people who are responsible for communicating that is when do you use different types of roadmaps, right? The, the roadmap uh, that you use to educate your sales team on what's coming versus the roadmap that you take to your board 
um, versus maybe a public facing roadmap that customers are looking at and providing feedback on. What would be mm -hmm. some guiding principles for when and how to approach those mm -hmm. situations? Yeah, nice question. I mean, I, I always try and keep things simple. Um, and so for me, I like to distinguish between two main product roadmap types, an internal product roadmap that really uh, facilitates, well, you know, all the work that needs to be done in order to progress a product and essentially guides the work of the stakeholders and development teams and aligns those groups and individuals. Um, you know, and you might also want to use an internal roadmap to secure funding or acquire a budget if required, and also to um, secure sufficient buy-in from senior management. And then the second type of roadmap I like to use is an external roadmap um, that shows the, the users and customers that the company is committed to the product, has some great ideas in the pipeline, um, and to a certain extent can be used as a sales tool. So those are the two types that I like to distinguish. And the main difference for me is that I'd be careful um, in terms of the amount of detail that I put on an uh, external roadmap. And uh, certainly when it comes to specific timeframes or dates, you know, I wouldn't necessarily state them. So, you know, you know, some people, you know, um, uh, don't like to show dates at all or, or specific timeframes on their roadmaps. Personally, I think for an internal roadmap, it makes a lot of sense. I find that often there's a trade-off decision between fully meeting a goal or fully achieving a desired outcome and doing it in a timely manner. Um, and, and then it's useful to, to have an understanding, well, you know, what kind of time frame or date are we targeting so we can make that trade-off decision. But for an external roadmap, I'd use maybe uh, just very vague uh, timeframes like the ones that Jana Bastoy originally suggested, um, the um, now, next, later, for instance. So you, you, don't, you don't really commit yourself. And then the same is true with any any sort of detailed pieces of information, particularly detailed features. I mean, <laughs> I'd say avoid uh, putting uh, lots of detailed detailed features on a roadmap anyway. But certainly for an external roadmap, you I, I think you either don't want to show any features, or if you do show features, you want to really keep them super coarse grained and very selective and just some some very big product capabilities. Absolutely. Any advice for uh, someone who wants to make sure that the roadmap describes that desired value for the audience? I, I think you said something really important in the beginning, right? This is a tool to tell a story about where it's going. Um, and sometimes I think roadmaps I've seen get so internally focused or by st stating, I mean, yes, maybe it's a feature or maybe they've tried to make it an outcome. But again, they're not thinking about what really matters for that audience. And the audiences that we've discussed so far are very different. What the board cares about versus a customer cares about, very different. Um, so any advice uh, for those out there thinking, I really want to, I want my next uh, chance to show that roadmap off to really leave an impression and really communicate effectively. Yeah, sure. So, you know, in order to create a, an effective product roadmap for me, it's important to base it on what I would call a validated product strategy. So um, a product strategy for me describes the approach that you're taking in order to achieve product success. And I would expect that a product strategy talks about the target group, the market or market segment you want to address, uh, the beneficiaries of the product, that is the users and customers. I'd expect that it talks about the value proposition 
the needs or the main problem uh, that should be addressed, the main benefit that should be offered, uh, or you could, could say the primary job uh, that users would want to hire the product for. And it should talk about standout features, what sets the product apart from competing offerings. And finally, the, the business benefits, the business goals. And for me, having that information available and not only um, you know, uh, having thought about it, but also having empirical evidence, having data to show that these um, statements are likely to be valid. So you've tested those statements, you've addressed any major risks, you've, uh, um, you've ad addressed any major assumptions. For me, again, that's the, the basis for then deriving a product roadmap from it. So the model that I, in a way, you know, have developed or like to use um, and like to recommend is that the, the roadmap very much um, shows how a validated uh, product strategy will be implemented over the next, say, nine to 12 months. And, um, you know, the benefit of having such a validated product strategy is that you can then either directly derive the product goals, the goals on the product roadmap, the outcomes from the needs, from the user goals, from the business goals stated in the product strategy by asking yourself, what will be helpful intermediate steps to um, address the problem or generate the desired benefit for the users and at the same time generate the desired business benefits. Or if you have an existing product um, and you have uh, a set of KPI, KPIs and you have some data, you can look for weaknesses and say, okay, you know, let's prioritize those weaknesses again, based on the product strategy in the context of the product strategy so that we can create more value for the users and the business. So for me, that's incredibly useful. And uh, again, it guides the, the process of identifying the right outcomes, because otherwise, you know, how do you know that the outcomes or the goals that you've included in your roadmap are truly meaningful, that, are, that they are the right ones? You know, how can you tell? Um, and then, you know, I, I would recommend ordering those goals that you have uh, a meaningful progression, or as you said, like a story and narrative. Um, so I look at uh, connections and dependencies, semantic dependencies. Um, so that, yeah, the, the roadmap tells them a meaningful story of uh, how you want to evolve your product. And then, you know, finally, uh, and that's uh, possibly the most important piece of advice in this context, um, don't, uh, don't just create the roadmap on your own, uh, locked away somewhere, <laughs> but uh, involve the, the people who should work with it. So the, the key stakeholders and representatives from the development teams. Uh, possibly, if uh, that's helpful, um, uh, a management sponsor. And so the, the uh, reason for, for that suggestion is that this allows you to um, uh, leverage the knowledge and the creativity and expertise of those individuals. And preferably, I should have said, bring those individuals together in form of a road mapping workshop, be it online or be it on site, so that people hear each other's ideas, but also concerns and can understand each other's interests. And you don't have to be a go-between and you don't have to go from you know, the, the salesperson to the marketeer, to the support person, to the finance expert, and, you know, explain, you know, what the other people have said and listen to what the, the individual has to say. So people, you know, hear it straight from each other. So leverage the collective knowledge and creativity of the group. Um, um, and um, by creating or co-creating this roadmap, you maximize the chances that, that it's clear that people have a shared understanding. Um, and finally, by inviting people to contribute to it, um, you increase the likelihood that people buy into it, that people support it and not just pay lip service to it and then go away and, you know, work on their goals rather than the agreed outcomes and goals. 
Um, so for me, a collaborative approach to product road mapping is super helpful without making the mistake of uh, thinking uh, collaboration means you got to please everyone or everybody has to be always be super happy with every decision that's not the point <laughs> i think that's very very hard to achieve the point is that you you attentively listen to people and you show to people that you care about their perspective and you you care about their ideas and concerns and you try and reach a consensus you try and reach agreement but at the same time you do want to make sure that the right product decisions are being captured on the product roadmap so the roadmap should not be a big compromise the product roadmap should not be a feature soup it should not be just like uh you know a, a plan that that was created just to please the marketeer and the sales rep and the finance person but yeah it should should really you know show that meaningful progression of your product and show how your product is likely to create value and the specific value it will create for the users and customers and the business not for individual stakeholders <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes sometimes that can be tough in you know and that very much depends on the the people present the stakeholders um, you know their personalities or their habits maybe i should say but it also depends on the organizational context and in a way the company culture um, you know the degree to which the a company values collaborative decision making and and, and, tr and teamwork truly values that um, you know, I found that, you know, in some organizations, people expect the product person to, to make the decisions and just kind of a little bit shy to contribute. And then you get the other extreme where, you know, organizations uh, expect that the, the most senior person, uh, you know, the, the hip boy or the highest paid person's opinions, opinion wins. Um, and so, yeah, you get the whole spectrum. And, um, you know, if you if you if you feel that it might be challenging to um, run a collaborative road mapping workshop, then maybe um, get the help of a skilled facilitator, scrum master, agile coach who can um, prepare the workshop with you, who can help establish ground rules, um, remind people of those ground ground rules if necessary, and make sure that everybody's heard and nobody dominates. Um, so yeah, um, but maybe 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 worthwhile giving it a go. Absolutely. As you were talking, uh, you know, you were mentioning the importance of tying this back to the context of why you're doing it. Uh, how valuable do you find it for people to repeat uh, the, the vision and the strategy prior to going through the roadmap? Is it an important anchoring technique to keep your audience connected to the big why and your big bets on yeah, nice question. So when you create uh, a product roadmap for either a brand new product or for a product that is undergoing a bigger change, like a product lifecycle extension, for instance, I would expect that the people in the product roadmapping workshop um, have helped you create and validate the product strategy. Um, so again, I'm a, I'm a big fan of collaborative strategizing, uh, strategy creation and validation. I think uh, it can be tremendously valuable. And then, you know, those people essentially move on and turn that product strategy into a product roadmap. If uh, you have been working on your product for a while, um, and then I would suggest that you, as a rule of thumb, consider running quarterly product roadmapping workshops, but combine them with strategy reviews. So, you know, once a quarter, again, as a rule of thumb, invite the key stakeholders and development team representatives, um, have a workshop, have a session where you look at first the product strategy, uh, has anything uh, changed? 
that has rendered the product strategy at least partially invalid? Do you have to make any um, adjustments to the product strategy? Is an opportunity to change the strategy? And what about the product roadmap? I mean, typically, if your strategy changes, you have to update your roadmap. Um, but even if the strategy doesn't change, is, is the roadmap still valid? I mean, you might find that some of the, the outcomes, some of the goals are no longer either realistic or quite appropriate. Uh, you may, may find that some of the timeframes need to be um, re, um, revised, changed, maybe because the development progress hasn't been as um, fast as anticipated, or maybe because you've actually made more progress than you'd hoped for. Who knows? Um, so yeah, um, combine the, the review um, and the update of those two plans. For me, they, they really go hand in hand. They, they fit together. I mean, when I think about generally strategic planning, I think about the product strategy and I think about the product roadmap. And, you know, if you kind of use them in the way that I've described them, they 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 nicely complement each other. So it makes sense to keep them in sync and update them together, and then you know you get the context that you mentioned. Absolutely, and, and I find, I mean, if you extend it, not that you need to use this, but it's also nice to then follow on because oftentimes those outcomes uh, make for really nice OKRs for the upcoming session, right? Um, in terms of yeah. the expectation yeah. that they want to do to deliver against those, so. I, I think that's one of the things that I particularly like about your books, um, because I think you almost break them down into kind of puzzle pieces that work, you know, these are things that support one another, right, as opposed to being initiatives that you need to do separately. Um, you know, they actually do, as you say, feed off of each other and lead towards pretty, um, you know, easy to understand kind of rituals that we go through. Right to, uh, to maintain connection to, yeah. Yeah, that's nice of you to say and great to hear. I mean, you know, there are different uh, approaches to product strategy and different approaches to product road mapping, of course. But um, I mean, as you said, I think it's it's really important to think about how do they, uh, those, those pieces, how do they fit together? And then also how does your product strategy, sorry, how does your product roadmap connect to your product backlog? So that, you know, um, you know, as you said, things do fit together and there is a consistent decision making. And, you know, if you have, say, like a, a higher level product strategy in the sense that I described it earlier, then you have your product roadmap with goals or outcomes, and then you have your product backlog that, um, you know, all these plans are not only kept in sync, but um, consistency, how ultimately user needs are translated into out user needs and business goals are translated into outcomes, and then uh, ultimately are translated into features, epics, and user stories. So you have, in a way, that that, that traceability in terms of the decision-making process. Absolutely. So, Roman, um, I, I wanted to know if you have any real-life stories of how someone has used a roadmap in either a particularly effective way, right, that you remember, uh, or alternatively, a spectacularly poor way. <laughs> either way, um, tell us a story that people can learn from. Yeah, I guess uh, the worst roadmaps I've seen were uh, feature-based roadmaps. I think I sort of uh, alluded to it at the beginning of our conversation, um, rich with lots of features and detailed features. I mean, for me, that is really kind of roadmap hell, <laughs> particularly as long as, uh, you know, we're talking about a digital product and as long as there's change or uncertainty. Um, and so, you know, with a detailed feature-based roadmap, the danger is that your roadmap... Um, goes out of date very quickly and there's a danger that there's an overlap with the product backlog uh, that the the roadmap is kind of dragged into the tactical realm and becomes more a tactical tool rather than you know that it is a strategic uh, product plan 
um and then you know i've seen some roadmaps that really were that really just catered for the the needs of the individual stakeholders where you could really tell that you know powerful stakeholders just kind of said this is what must go on the roadmap in some cases it was the big boss and you know that's kind of sad to see in, in a way because it, it indicates that the the level of product management maturity is low and um yeah again i said it earlier you know, the, the person in charge of the product is not fully empowered, is not fully fully authorized to take on um, the product strategy and product roadmapping decisions or own those decisions, which I think that's the way it should be. Um, and so the roadmaps, <laughs> I'm biased. I mean, I, 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 I do admit it, but uh, I mean, the roadmaps that I've seen work well uh, were those roadmaps that talked more about, you know, why we were trying to, to do something and um, focus more on outcomes and, and goals rather than, outputs and features and deliverables and so that's why you know i've been quite a vocal advocate of of roadmaps but you know particularly goal-oriented outcome-based roadmaps now for for quite a few years and you know i, I really hope that, that those uh, listeners who haven't tried goal-oriented or outcome-based roadmaps you know uh, are encouraged to to give them a go well and uh, not to like plug you here but you definitely have some great free tools on your website right and i think the go uh, the go roadmap template is one that if people mm -hmm. wanted to go look at uh, you can absolutely do that um, companies that you think do a particularly good job embracing uh, the outcome based roadmap approach or the goal oriented uh, roadmap approach or you know, I think that's difficult for me to, to, to say, really, because, you know, when I work with companies, I typically work with, um, you know, individual product people or groups of product people. In larger companies, I find um, there's often quite a um, variation in terms of the product management practices and, and how product roadmapping is, is, a, is applied. So I'm not sure that I'm, I'm in a position to call out individual individual companies and say like do it like those do it. <laughs> you know, ultimately I think every everyone's got to find their own way that is right for, you know, what works for the organization and and for a given uh, product portfolio. Um, but but outcome did did I mention that outcome based and goal oriented roadmaps are really great. <laughs> so try we, those. We have a. <laughs> we have a lot of listeners um, who are who are founders or they're investors in early stage uh, companies, and so I think it's always nice for them to hear model model organizations that they can look to. But I think that yeah. your point your point is fair, um, and I think if anybody speaks about product at any different organization, it really takes on a very different shape um, for each. Yeah, and and as you as you, as you just mentioned. Um, you know, founders and young companies, startups, that sort of brought up a memory um, from a few years back. I was working with a, what I thought was a really interesting um, startup. And so we were discussing product roadmapping practices and you know, I was helping the guys build an outcome-based goal-oriented roadmap. And then a few months later, you know, we had a, we had a sort of follow-up session and they showed me the roadmap that they'd sent to their investors. And it was nothing like what we discussed before. It was completely feature-based. And I said like, oh my God, why, why did you create this roadmap? I mean, didn't we talk about goal-oriented outcome-based roadmaps? It's like, yeah, yeah, we know it. And we believe in them and we still use them internally. But, you know, the investors wanted us to create this roadmap. So 
we did it. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is just kind of reality bites and that's okay. You know, if you, if that's what you need to do to win the next round of investment, then, then, you know, maybe, maybe you should do it at the same time. It also shows how difficult it can be then, you know, for people sometimes to do what they think is right. And, you know, again, that's an element of, of kind of empowerment and, and respect, I guess, in authority there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've seen similar things, not quite as, uh, as, as extreme maybe in, 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 in larger organizations, established organizations where, you know, product person says, yeah, I'd love to use outcome-based roadmaps, but my stakeholders don't allow me to. <laughs> but of course, then you don't have a, again, you don't have a roadmapping issue. The issue is really around, you know, product management maturity and empowerment. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's difficult. And I think a lot of people probably identify with that, um, wanting to make any type of change within the product organization, as you said early on, right? Whether or not that is something that's possible is has much more to do with the organizational maturity mm -hmm. um, and kind of attitudes towards, you know, respecting the discipline. So um, we do have a lot of uh, a lot of focus at the Product Led Alliance on product led growth. Um, and so for product leaders who are charged with delivering PLG, um, what should they be mindful of when sharing the roadmap? Anything new or anything in specific that we haven't covered outside of focus on the outcomes, make sure that you're collaborating with your, your stakeholders, making sure that it's not sitting on the shelf and not being evaluated every quarter. Yeah, that's right. Don't don't spec don't speculate. Uh, avoid speculative uh, pieces of information on your roadmap. Only look as far as you can see. If that's six months, then you know this is where you should stop. If it's if it's a nine months, again, you know, stop at nine months. If it's twelve months, great. Um, I've learned that um, products that consist of more than software often have to look out a little bit further, simply because of the longer hardware cycles. So you know, if you have some hardware, you may have to uh, look at the next, say, twenty four months but only look as far as you can uh, realistically see. Uh, avoid too much detail. Keep the product roadmap high level and strategic. If you do include features on your roadmap, uh, which you know I still like to do, simply to give um, the stakeholders and the development teams an idea and create a shared understanding of what it might take in order to meet a goal, um, then keep them um, big and coarse grained. Um, you know, think about product capabilities, no epics, no user stories. Uh, that'd be too detailed and, uh, you know, create a competition with the product backlog and limit the amount of uh, features uh, per outcome to uh, three, uh, I'd say. Um, and, and make sure that every feature, every, every deliverable, every output is required in order to achieve the goal or outcome. So the features must be dependent on the outcomes. And that means if a stakeholder comes to you and says, I've got this great idea, can we put this feature on the roadmap? You'd have to find an outcome or goal that this feature supports. And if that's not the case, then you either should decline the request and say no in the right way, of course, um, or you should uh, consider adjusting one of the goals or introducing a new one, which then uh, might be a bigger product roadmapping change or product roadmap change. So yeah, those are some thoughts. And for brand new products, uh, that's maybe the, the final thought. Sometimes it's not possible to look beyond the very first um, uh, public release, the MVP, the minimum viable product. That's cool as well. Then you know, state the goal or outcome for that MVP, and then you know, once you get closer to uh, launching your product, or once you've launched and you've uh, received the general market response on your MVP. You should be in a better position then to look out further and create a roadmap maybe for the next six months or so. You you 
led perfectly into my next question, which is market response, but also a customer centricity. Um, so many companies are increasingly using some form of a customer advisory board, um, customer feedback loops uh, to, to kind of deliver on the marketing, you know, benefit customer-led thinking, customer centricity. Um, does that work well? Uh, any, any observations uh, for somebody who's interested in deploying this? Well, um, so I, 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 again, you know, I'm probably biased based on my own experience. I mean, I used to work with, you know, advisory boards um, back in the day. And I, I, I found that at least, you know, those boards that I worked with, they didn't so much advise, they, they would tell. <laughs> and so I think it's, it's great practice. It's very helpful when the person in charge of the product, first of all, owns the product roadmap and strategy. And secondly, has the opportunity to regularly connect with users and customers. So the rule of thumb uh, that I like to suggest is re reach out at least to selected users and customers, observe them, or at least talk to them once a quarter. I think it's another once a quarter rule. <laughs> and, you know, in addition, of course, to uh, collecting uh, the right data using uh, appropriate analytics tools. I think uh, having data and using analytics tools is great. And I think it's one of the big um, advances that we've seen in product management over the past 15 years or so, you know, just the amount of data that we have available, the ability to, to track and, and see user journeys and, um, you know, um, draw conclusions from them. I think it's amazing, but I feel that the qualitative side, the, 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 the people side is just as important. I mean, I can't empathize with data. Um, I can only emp empathize with humans. I think it's important to uh, regularly meet users and customers and if if that's what you do and if you then also are able to establish a collaborative product road mapping approach where somebody from marketing somebody from sales works with you uh, regularly looks at the roadmap then i'm not sure that you would necessarily need an advisory board um you know so <laughs> that's my take on it. I mean, you know, if the advisory board is a panel of experts that, that offers um, helpful, uh, objective uh, feedback, I think that can be great. But, you know, I'd like to see product people to be empowered that, that they then take that feedback and, you know, decide what, what they think is right for their product. Because as the person in charge of the product, I should be responsible for the success of that product. So, you know, I should have the, the necessary, and I need to have the necessary decision-making authority. So if I was to say it simply, I think what I hear you saying is a customer advisory board can be an excellent tool, uh, but you have to respect the uh, kind of autonomy and the empowerment of the product owner to make the decisions, right? This is just one source of feedback. That's right. Yes, that's right. And, and plus, you know, make sure that the product owners, product managers have direct access to, to end users and customers, which isn't always the case, particularly in larger organizations. Sometimes product people are shielded from the users or is it the other way around? I'm not quite sure, <laughs> but you have senior management, you have the sales force and, you know, they say sometimes, you know, oh, no, no, don't worry about the users. You know, oh, you know, we know what, what these guys want. We'll tell you exactly what you need to know. And it's kind of great to have, uh, you know, a clued up, uh, to have clued up uh, knowledgeable salespeople and uh, have a management that understands the market. But I think, you know, as the person in charge of the product, you, you, you need to reach out, as I said earlier, and you need to connect with, with users and customers and talk to them yourself. Yeah, there's really no 
uh, replacement for real quality kind of one-on-one -on -one observation time, right? Um, you just can't get that firsthand experience without being there firsthand, I think. So, um, okay, Roman, this has been an excellent uh, set of discussion points. We've come to the end of our show where I get to ask my favorite question. So uh, if there was a, a museum in the world uh, that was dedicated to the world's most important products, what would you say should be in there and why? So, uh, you know, purely selfishly, and I mean, these aren't products that uh, have really helped advance uh, humanity and humankind in any way. But I mean, I put uh, uh, I put uh, in the museum uh, a bicycle and a saxophone simply because I like bicycles and I like playing uh, at least my saxophone, uh, my tenor. Um, but having said that, I mean, now, you know, some of the, the, the climate uh, emergency you know given the, the climate emergency that we're experiencing you know bicycles actually uh, might be very powerful and then you know there, there are things like uh, by bi world bicycle relief like a charity that provides poorer uh, um, nations with bicycles so children can cycle to school you know i think it's uh, it's, it's great so maybe maybe the bicycle actually is a very worthwhile uh, a very noble product with the saxophone i don't know i think it's more like uh, you know uh well, it's a musical instrument, right? <laughs> Music is great, but uh, you know, some people probably would argue that it's it's helpful for for humanity. So, hey, nothing like uh, sitting there and being able to either observe music firsthand and feel the emotion of that or groove to your favorite song. So I think that this acts absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's funny you say bike because I spent the last week in um, Copenhagen and Brussels and mm. in Sweden. And as is often the case, I just left thinking, what the heck? Like, come on, London, come on, Seattle. Like, let's make some safe you know, bike lanes and let's make it so that we can actually leverage them the way that other countries do. So uh, very timely and a thought I literally had this morning. So um, I agree with you on that. I think those should make it into the museum for sure. Uh, Roman, it's been, it's been so nice to have you. Thank you for joining us. And I know that this episode will be very useful for people wanting to tell the story about what they're doing within their product or within uh, their features um, and wanting to do so in a way that really talks about those outcomes and, and communicates the value of them. Yeah, cool. I mean, it was uh, lovely talking to you. Thank you for having me. And yeah, hopefully uh, the listeners have found it a little bit useful. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.